Welcome, both of you. You are the final two to arrive. Please join your fellow first years in the Great Hall where the staff and faculty have prepared a lovely reception for you. The speaker greeting Cassie, and she could only assume by the hasty footsteps behind her that Ludo had also arrived, was a very tall and stately woman with horn-rimmed spectacles through which she was peering down at the newly arrived scholars. Her name tag identified her as Mistress Audrey Maud, Mistress to the Women's Dormitory. Given that I only have two name badges remaining, I'll assume that you, my dear, are Cassandra, and this hasty young man must be Mr. Ludwig. The woman offered a prim smile as she handed each of them an embossed name badge, sporting their full names along with a small colored circle on the upper right-hand corner. In order to help simplify your transition to the governor's school here at Walnut Grove, we organize all of our scholars into societies and within societies by your designated year of acceptance. As both of you are first-year scholars, you will be seated with your fellow first-years at the far end of your society's table. So, gamers are red? Ludo asked quizzically as he took his name tag and eyed it before slipping the magnet off of the back and clipping it over the pocket of his rumpled blazer. His face an open display of distaste for the recent grouping of writing scholars into the newly formed Digital Arts Society. He wanted to write, not hack. Such an astute but unnecessary observation, Mr. Ludwig. And there are no gamers here. There are only digital arts scholars. Now, please hurry in as the reception is about to begin. With a graceful wave of her arm, Mistress Maud directed Cassie and Ludo down a short hallway that ended in an ornately framed double set of doors that towered above them on either side like ancient wooden sentinels. Well, Miss Cassandra, I guess I'll see you around, quipped the young man as he and Cassie entered the enormous hall. Immediately, the young man slouched and slowed his pace, casting a bored expression on his face as he moved off to the table on the far right that was clearly marked with vibrant red signage. Cassie, however, paused in the opening to the great room and gaped in wonder at the marvelous spectacle before her. She had never seen a room so large with ceilings so tall. Great, darkly stained wooden beams framed the arching roof that stretched to at least 40 feet above her. Laid out across the hall were five long tables that ran nearly the length of the room, each crowded with a group of well-dressed students who in turn wore some small color declaring their society. It's amazing, Cassie admired, not aware that she had spoken aloud. Indeed it is, quite the marvel, but your seat, please, Miss Cole, commanded a calm voice from just behind her. Turning slowly, Cassie blanched in shock as she gazed up at an ornately dressed woman, her long academic robes brushing the floor and brilliant white hair pulled back in a thick bun. In her hand, she held a ceremonial scepter, and behind her stood a long line of masters and professors also dressed in full academic robes, waiting for Cassie to take her seat so that the procession could begin. With color rising rapidly to her cheeks, Cassie bowed her head apologetically and stepped quickly to the side while scanning the table 
for her society's matching color. Gamboge. A small part of her mind knew that she would have appreciated the uniqueness of the semi-translucent yellow pigment derived from the Cambodian tree of the same name, but the larger part of her mind was panic-stricken as a thousand eyes stared at her from all angles. Fortunately, the students had the courtesy not to laugh at her expense, though no small few were hastily covering wicked grins. What a dreadful way to start. Cassie murmured as she slid onto the bench at the far end of her designated table. It's not the best, but also not the worst. Consoled the voice of a fellow first year sitting across from her. The girl had apparently arrived in time to dress in the appropriate school uniform for the occasion. Last year, one of the new screechers started playing some body tune with his trumpet. Apparently, someone pranked him into believing that he was supposed to herald the arrival of the faculty. The girl giggled and smiled warmly at Cassie, stretching a hand across the table. Sarah. Sarah Dawson. I'm new as well, but my older brother is a prefect in his final year, so... She shrugged to indicate that she was therefore naturally familiar with the happenings in the school. Screechers? Asked Cassie as she shook the other girl's hand. Oh, all the societies have nicknames. The masters hate it, but there's no stopping it. We're known as mutters, because, well... We make quite a mess. Exactly. Sarah smiled and nodded. You'll fit in here just fine, she said with a smile, as she turned her attention to the front of the hall as the headmistress stepped to the podium. Her embarrassment fading, Cassie took a moment to look once more about the room. Hmm. So this is my new home, she whispered with a deep sense of satisfaction, turning as well toward the front as headmistress Floquet began her address. Welcome, scholars, new and returning. Your faculty, staff, and I have been working diligently this summer to prepare what we believe to be an exceptional season of experiences and opportunities for you all. Please join me in welcoming back our society deans. A smattering of applause started and died off as the headmistress introduced the primary professors for each discipline. Returning this year as Dean of Performing Arts is our very own Master Bale Adonis. The city is still talking about your incredible year and performance, Bale, and we look forward to what you have in store for us this year. Master Bale Adonis stood and bowed theatrically to the raucous applause and shouts from his society scholars. Master Grimpen Gallion returns for his 16th year as Dean of Music. Once again applause, but this time accompanied by an obviously rehearsed chorus that echoed brilliantly through the Great Hall and was accompanied by a booming percussive beat as the Music Society students hammered the table in unison. Cassie couldn't help but smile at the enthusiasm and display of skill that was already evident. Returning for her 18th year, the one and only Mistress Shaleen Beckett, Dean of Writing. If you have not picked up her latest novel, please ensure that you do so, as it is simply a marvelous piece of literature, and an instant classic to be sure. Mistress Beckett, a short and stout woman with graying hair, wore a winsome smile as she nodded demurely toward the headmistress, then once again toward her society, who now sat at the far end of the table in their newly assigned rib. Many, however, continued to wear their original green, which gave a holiday feel to the table, as each of the writing-focused scholars pounded the table with heavy books, 
making a thunderous racket that echoed about the hall. And joining us for the first time this year as newly appointed Society Masters are Master Ignis Radcliffe, who is being promoted from Professor to full Master of Digital Arts, and last but certainly not least, the newly appointed Mistress Cynthia Zeltrix, who joins us from her prior appointment at the esteemed Portugal College of Arts as Dean of Visual Arts. Cassie blinked in amazement at the mention of the college, but had little time to consider why someone would ever leave the most prestigious visual arts college in the country for a position at a boarding school, even one with Waldrow's reputation. Yet, she found herself standing, applauding, and cheering with the rest of her society, many of whom had fashioned banners and flags of all sorts, so that their display of support was clearly the most colorful celebration of all. Waving the students to quiet, the headmistress spread her hands in a broad, welcoming gesture as she continued. The Governor's School of Arts at Walnut Grove was founded in 1794, but the roots of our school are much deeper and much older than the founding of these buildings. Our tradition of excellence spans generations and continents, for we stand upon the shoulders of great men and women as far back as the great Sumerian Empire. All of you, my young scholars, are now part of that very long and very proud tradition. Future generations will look to the example you set this season. The world expects greatness, and we will deliver. We walk within the shadows of a great legacy. We think our actions matter, but they're only scattered seeds. Just sentimental deeds like ornamental beads. Our lives are cast in spectral shades, lit by the glow beyond the grave. Our lives are cast in spectral shades Until our debts have all been paid Our spectral shades Are the debts that we must pay Our spectral shades Are the debts that we must pay by the shadows and their grasping melodies Though constantly we're better We shall never see defeat Though they drag us to our knees Till we're dragged to our knees A spectral Spectral shades are the debts that we must pay. Spectral shades are the 
once again into cheers and applause that continued for several moments before the headmistress leaned into the podium, her face growing a shade more serious. Leadership begins with each one of you. Do not look to your prefects or your masters to set an example. Each one of you must embody the excellence you expect to see in those around you. You are not here merely to mark the time. You are here to confront every challenge head on and to overcome. This phrase was marked with a resounding boom as the headmistress struck the stone floor with her staff. And as she did so, the floor in front of the podium split open. And up from the opening arose a large gleaming chalice that sparkled in the firelit room. Behold, the governor's cup, cried the headmistress as she thrust a hand toward the sparkling trophy that stood at least four feet high with huge handles on either side that were covered in colorful ribbons, matching the assigned colors of each of the participating academies of art that comprised the governor's pantheon, as it was called. Cassie noticed immediately the overwhelming shade of purple marking Walgrove's academy as the most represented among the thick tapestry of ribbons. Yeah. Sorry to say, but we mutters aren't really the prize of the school. Cassie turned to see Sarah looking at her and shrugging. Dillies and divas, that's the performing arts, actors and vocalists, are the only one the Academy cares about, but who knows? With a new and celebrated society mistress like Madame Zeltrix, perhaps our lot is looking up this year. Cassie completely missed what the headmistress was saying about the Governor's Cup. She presumed it had to do with how a school went about winning the contest, but figured she could just ask someone after the reception. Indeed, Cassie's head was so full at this point that she found it difficult to focus on anything further. There was something about the scheduled change in a special event later in the fall, but for the most part, the remainder of the evening whisked by so swiftly that Cassie was surprised to find herself walking at the back of a column of her fellow society members as they returned to their dormitory. Happily, upon arriving in her room, she discovered that Sarah had been assigned as her roommate. As each society space was split between men and women's quarters, and the first years were all assigned to doubles at the very back of the long hallway. For the Society of Visual Arts, or Mutters, that meant a climb down a flight of stairs to the basement, which smelled of clay, paint, and yes, mud. Sarah had already reached their room and apparently unpacked earlier in the day, claiming the lower of the bunk beds as her own. I hope you don't mind if I took the lower bunk. I'm not very good with heights. Sarah shrugged as she plopped herself down on the firm mattress of her bed, which was covered by a yellow colored blanket and soft light gray comforter. I'm just glad you're my roommate. I'm sure the other first years are fine, but you, well, you seem like the kind of person I'd enjoy getting to know. Cassie smiled brightly and on a whim walked up to Sarah and gave her a warm hug, receiving one in return. And you can call me Cassie. Cassie Cole. Sorry I didn't mention it earlier. Oh good, because Cassandra sounds a bit formal, and the feeling is mutual. Cassie. Sarah smiled brightly in response before adding, Well, I hear that you're a year ahead, so I hope you don't mind rooming with a true first year. Sarah's reply came with a hint of hesitation as she seemed uncertain about how to broach the subject of Cassie's entry to the school, 
in what should be her second or possibly third year. While it was not uncommon, it was well known that only public scholarship students were admitted at the age of 16, which meant that Cassie was not likely from a wealthy family. I suppose there's some dreadful term for me then, isn't there? Cassie prodded, hoping beyond hope that she wouldn't be saddled with a second derogatory title on her first day. Sorry about that, but you'll find that Walgrove has a thing for dreadful terms. But I suppose it would be best to know going into it. While other schools like ours place students into years by age group, here first years are first years no matter how old you are. And unfortunately, all older first years are called Judy, boys and girls alike. Judy? Cassie asked with a tilt of her head. She supposed that it could be worse, but having grown up in a public school, she knew how powerful inflection could make even the simplest word. It has to do with one of the founders or the founder's child or likely something much worse than that. Truth is, no one really knows anymore. But if you get called Judy, you'll be expected to respond. And Judy's get ripped and popped more than a normal first year, which is quite a lot. Again, Sarah shrugged. By now, she had doffed her academic attire and tossed on a comfortable sweatshirt emblazoned with a school seal as she plopped down in her bed. Ripped? Popped? This is an awful lot to keep in mind. Good thing I have you to help me navigate things. I hope at some point that I can just get back to painting again. Cassie tried to make her voice light, but her head was truly spinning now, and she was both exhausted and far too awake to fall asleep. Nevertheless, she finished unpacking the few belongings she had carried with her, slipped on her new nightgown, and clambered up the ladder to the top bunk where she crawled beneath the covers. Good night, Sarah. Good night, Judy. They both laughed. <laughs> Cassie smiled contentedly as she snuggled back against the pillow in the upper bunk. The day had been neither a complete disaster nor a complete success. And for a bonus, her roommate was friendly, knowledgeable, and didn't snore. The last thing she needed to check, she couldn't do while awake. And so Cassie closed her eyes, breathed deeply, and wished herself into another world. A biting chill to the air informed her that she had indeed arrived. And opening her eyes, she clapped her hands, partly to warm herself, but mostly because she had really been hoping that these lucid dreams would continue after she started school. And indeed, her dream world was just as she had left it. Most importantly, there, resting next to her against the dark, rocky wall, was her black portfolio. The greatest mystery she had yet to uncover was how the drawings she made in her dreams ended up in her actual portfolio. For that matter, how her portfolio was able to join her in both worlds. When the dreams had first started, Cassie had performed all sorts of clandestine experiments. She discovered with great interest that electronic devices, beyond simple things like lamps, would never transfer to her dream. But her portfolio, pencils, brushes, and paints moved back and forth with her as long as she went to sleep and woke up in the same secluded spot. Hmm, let's see what you have in store for me today. Cassie wondered if she ever mumbled in her sleep when she spoke in this place. 
She would have invited her sister Charlie into her experiments, but Charlie was just... Charlie is just too practical. This, she noted, while scooping up her satchel of colored pencils and her portfolio, before crawling easily outside of the den. Pausing as she usually did to check for tracks in the new snow that always covered the ledge in front of her little nook. Nothing stirring today. Usually she would find the tracks of a bird or other small creature. A slight shiver ran down her spine as she recalled the enormous paw print she had seen on one occasion. I'm glad that you haven't been back, she said as she stood and stretched before pulling herself one ledge up, brushing the snow aside before sitting on the cold rock and pulling her portfolio onto her lap. <sighs> Nothing but fog, Cassie noted with dissatisfaction, shaking her head as she pulled her feet beneath her and stood up once again. I wish I could get one day with a little sunshine. You'd think that if I could dream the same thing over and over, that eventually I'd figure out how to control it better than this. Well, I really don't want to be awake too much longer today. I just wanted to check... Wait, what is that? Cassie silenced her motion, straining to determine if the odd sound she had just heard would repeat itself. And there it was again. Carefully, Cassie set her portfolio down before lightly dancing up the ledge toward the snow-covered top of the rocky alcove. The voice was faint, but it was most definitely a voice. Well, this is new and interesting. I must really have been overstimulated today to conjure up a voice. It sounded like it came from down there. Cassie was poised at the top of the outcrop. It was funny how she had no fear of heights in the dream. Though it was just a dream after all, and she'd never been hurt here before. Still, she had read about people being hurt in their dreams, so she never tried anything truly crazy. Slipping expertly down the craggy side of the cliff face, Cassie found a wide enough ledge upon which to drop, pausing as she did to await the call again. After several tense moments with no further sound, Cassie took a few more steps along the ledge and peered over the side into a gaping gorge, at the bottom of which ran a deep and very cold-looking river. If you're all the way down there, I'm sorry, but you'll just have to help yourself. Cassie muttered before turning around and making her way back to her own cozy alcove. Just before ducking in, she remembered her portfolio and clambered back up, grabbing it before shimmying down and sliding back into the cave. She had once dropped her portfolio in the dream and discovered when she woke that she had misplaced it in real life. She assumed that she had merely dreamt about losing it because she had actually lost it in the real world, but once again, You can never be too careful. Clutching her portfolio, Cassie closed her eyes and drifted off to sleep. Real sleep this time. The new day dawned with a brilliant sun that shone brightly through the small windows set in the top of the stone wall of their tiny shared room. Sarah had already awoken and dressed by the time that Cassie opened her eyes and cheerily thumped the side of the bed. Come on, Cassie. If you're late for the first session, you'll be called much worse than Judy. I'm going to run ahead and see if I can find my brother. I'll be there. Don't worry. I just need to figure out what to wear. Cassie responded as she sat up lazily in the bed, watching Sarah bound out the door. Cassie made quick work of getting ready. She was very pleased to discover upon opening her wardrobe 
that it was stocked with all of her uniforms and even a few bits of color for her society. From what she read in the manual, students, or scholars as they called them here, had four sets of uniforms, formal, scholar, athletic, and laboratory. Since all morning classes were reserved for general academic curriculum, only scholarly wear was permitted. To Cassie, whose family had never been able to afford a stitch more clothing than was absolutely necessary, this wardrobe was an absolute bounty. In fact, Cassie lost track of time as she pawed through the varying offerings, being alerted of the impending hour only by the chime of a bell that rang through the stony hallway. With a shriek, Cassie threw on her new uniform, hastily gathered her book satchel, and whisked herself out the door and down the hall at a run. We do not run in the hallway, a stern voice commanded as Cassie rounded the corner and nearly collided with another student, just barely managing to keep hold of her books. Look, Judy, you're not late yet. We set the tones early for the first week so that you first years don't cost the society points. Cassie blinked and looked behind her, recalling a fraction late what Sarah had said about being called Judy. Yes, I'm referring to you, Judy. Just because you're older doesn't mean you get to skip initiation. Many have tried, all have failed. The speaker stood a few inches shorter than Cassie, and Cassie was not known for her height. Nevertheless, the stern look on the other girl's face was enough to elicit a meek nod from Cassie in acquiescence. Scholars do not merely nod. We speak truth to power. Hey, Judy. Come talk to me, Judy. Think you're something, strutting and thumping. You keep it coming, don't you? Good here, you're nothing. I don't have time. Get in the line. Make up your mind, won't you? Little Miss Saccharine. Chalkin', walkin', lockin', cockin'. Get it all out, never a doubt. Feeling you out. This is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you, <laughs> Judy. When I say your name, you look at me, Judy. What you think this ain't no movie, Judy? You think your beauty excuses your beauty, Judy. Look at my eye, I tell you no lie. Some of these parts and fits and stuff will never evolve to more than just Judy. Judy. That's why I just walk away, just shrug it off like a bad day. But the some of these parts and fits and stuff will never evolve to more than just Judy. Talking about you, Judy. When I say your name, you look at me, Judy. What you think this ain't no movie, Judy? Think your beauty excuse your duty, Judy. <laughs> That's right, Judy. Just keep on walking. Don't hear no talking now. Come on, Judy. Judy. Sorry. Uh, You're, uh, uh, what, Judy? Not very impressive, that's for certain. The girl squared her shoulders and affixed a sneer to her face as she continued. Let me help you. Captain O'Dine? I'm sorry, Captain O'Dine, for prancing around the hall like a silly little girl. Cassie blanched and blinked, having not been treated like this by even the worst of the students at her public school. 
come now, Captain. Don't be too hard on the poor girl on her first day. Mistress Audrey Maud slid into the room with a practiced grace, tilting her head back to look down at the pair of girls through her horn-rimmed glasses. Cassie, I was just looking for you. I noticed you were missing and thought I'd come and ensure that you were able to find your way, since you were unable to join the tour group yesterday. My deepest apologies, dorm mistress. I had forgotten that Judy, or Cassandra, had not been given a formal review of our society's expectations. I will be certain to catch up with her after sessions today to take care of that. Personally. Captain Molly O'Dine tilted her head gracefully before excusing herself and exiting up the stairs. Don't let Molly frighten you, Cassie. She's new to the role of senior prefect, but she is both trustworthy and fair. Otherwise, your society would not have appointed her to the post. It's all just a bit much, Mistress Maud, but I'll do better tomorrow. I don't want to let anyone down. Cassie responded as the color came back to her cheeks after the unexpected encounter. Taking her leave as well, Cassie leapt up the stairs, nearly tripping as she made her way out of Wolfmeck House to the top of the stairs and into the adjoining Atticus Lounge, which in turn connected to the Great Hall in the center, the master's offices on the far wing, and ultimately to the academic classrooms. Atticus Lounge was a shared lounge for scholars, and as might be expected on the first day of a new season, this scholar's lounge was awash with students, greeting one another after the long summer holiday. And as Cassie surmised, from the leering she was receiving, it was well-deserving of its nickname, the market, as no small number of the male scholars were sitting about watching the archway from which each woman must emerge. Someone made a cat call and a shout as Cassie appeared in the frame. A ginger! Hey up, boys. I told you there'd be a ginger this year. Ducking her head as though she could hide her strawberry curls, Cassie bravely entered the room, feeling every eye like a prickling needle on her skin. It's not that Cassie was unused to the attention. She had been attending a fairly disreputable public high school after all. It was the sheer brazen gaping that caused her free hand to ball into a fist in response to her desire to hit the nearest boy just on the principle of it. As it happened, Mistress Maud appeared a few steps behind, and the presence of the tall dorm mistress sent the young men scurrying to their classrooms. No one will mind at all if you decide to slug one of them next time. In fact, you might earn some points for your society if you do. Mistress Maud commented to Cassie while passing her, a slight smile curling on her lips. Cassie relaxed the fist she had unconsciously been holding and smiled before moving along with the flow of fellow scholars through the long hallways to her first block, which is what they called the academic classes. The room was beginning to fill as Cassie entered, but given the small class size, she was easily able to find her way to a place near the window, where she sat neatly, laying her satchel on top of the table and withdrawing a notepad and a handful of pencils. Surely you aren't going to take notes like that, are you? A young and all-too-familiar presence plopped down on the seat next to her, spinning a shiny new tablet computer on the shared desk and flipping it open while attaching a flexible keyboard at the base. Oh, it's you. Hey now, I apologized already. You have to forgive me now. It's against the spirit of Walgrove to harbor such enmity against a fellow scholar. Ludo leaned an arm on the desk and looked over at her with a smile that some girl before must have let him get away with. Cassie, however, was not that girl. Spying an open seat a row up, she slipped quickly up and into that seat, 
settling in right as the last student was rushing through the door. Aw, oh, come on. You can't do that to me. We were just becoming friends, exclaimed Ludo with a shake of his head as the newcomer, a rather sweaty boy, plopped himself down on the seat that Cassie had just vacated. In reply, Cassie flashed a smile and fluttered her eyelashes in feigned innocence. I can see the board better from here, she said softly before turning her smile to the girl that was sitting in the adjacent seat. Good for you, Judy. Captain O'Dine muttered in a drawl voice before popping a pair of earpods in and increasing the volume on her digital player. Cassie frowned as Ludo chuckled over loudly behind her. By then, the professor was walking into the classroom and without a word of introduction, launched into his lecture on ancient civilizations. Cassie and the Spectral Shade is an original story written, produced, and narrated by Daniel Nichols from the Happy-Go-Lucky Podcast. It's the follow-up story to Charlie Saves Christmas. This story is made possible by the support of our listening audience, our patrons, and the tremendous voice talent of our many podcasting creators and friends. Cassie Cole is voiced by the amazing Jessica Ann. You can visit her on Twitter at QueenNerd4Life. Sarah Dawson, Cassie's roommate, is voiced by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Nikki also reprises her amazing role as Aunt Nani, Cassie and Charlie's aunt. Willem Marshall IV is voiced by Josh Monroe from Graven Rogue Studios. Whittle Apple is voiced by Dietrich Marie Bowie. Learn more about her podcast, writing, and other creative projects online at DietrichMarieBowie.com. Headmistress Pearl Floquet is voiced by Alexandria Young-Ray from Pomegranates and Pitchforks. Ludo Van Ness is voiced by Adam Legrave from The Tall Grass Podcast. Janice Tremaine is voiced by Beth Yadden. Be sure to follow her on Instagram at chaoticgoodhood. Bentley the Bus Driver is voiced by Brad Zimmerman from The Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon and The Fate of Ice and Podcast. Brad also voices Master Grimpen Galleon. Jimmy and Bobby Franks are voiced by Kenneth Eccles from Podcast Reviews, Reviews Podcast. Mistress Cressida McLean is voiced by Julie Miller from the Podville Podcast. Master Bale Adonis is voiced by Corbin Miller from the Podville Podcast. Mistress Cynthia Zeltrix is voiced by Hannah Gallagher from the Thornvale Podcast. Captain Molly O'Dine is voiced by Susan Lewis from the Thornvale Podcast. Alastair Montrose and Willem Marshall III are voiced by Jordash Richardson from Top of the Round. Mistress Audrey Maud is voiced by Kate Walinga from Ignorance Was Bliss. Garrett Black and additional characters to be revealed later are voiced by Mike Ashley from Dice Tower Theater. Ningalix and other characters to be revealed later are voiced by Carrie Coelho from Elderberry Tales.
The music, singing, vocal performances, foley, and sound effects are all original creations of our insanely talented cast. So please join us in applauding their tremendous effort. Be sure to discover a whole new range of fantastic content as you explore each of their podcasts and creative endeavors. To learn more about the Happy Go Lucky podcast, visit us online at happygolucky.com. Lucky is spelled L-U-K-K-Y. From all of us at the Happy Go Lucky podcast, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe, and if you love the show, we'd love to hear and read your reviews. 